So we're talking about building our life. We've had um, some great episodes already, and tonight uh, I am adding in my uh, episode, and I want to start off by showing you a picture of a guy called Eddie Jakku. Now, people who know Eddie Jakku, I don't want you to spoil it for the person next to you, but this guy wrote a book called The Happiest Man on Earth. Now, I wonder what you think the book is about. This is kind of only works if you've never read the book or you don't know this guy. I wonder what you think when I say the happiest man on earth. What did he possibly write the book about? Maybe he won the lottery and got a whole bunch of money and was able to do whatever he wanted when he wanted. Maybe he was able to travel the world and, and you know, fulfill all of his dreams in that way. Maybe he started a charity and was able to help so many people that it just brought so much joy to his life. I wonder what image comes to your mind. Maybe he was just a meme lord and he had all the best memes saved to his phone. Actually, Eddie Jakku, in his book, recounts his experience at Auschwitz, the concentration camp uh, in Germany. And he calls himself the happiest man on earth. And even though he went through... Uh, unspeakable atrocities where he would go without food and be pushed into forced labor for um, weeks on end and watch the people around him get shot when they didn't want to be up to the task. And when people tried to kill themselves to get out of the horrible concentration camp, the prison guards decided that they would make it a, uh, a punishment that if you tried to kill yourself, they're going to kill um a certain group of your friends that were around you. So nobody even wanted to kill themselves. They just wanted, they just were under this serious oppression that we can't even possibly imagine. And I was watching a documentary about some of this stuff and it was really, really hard to watch. And, and this guy can call himself the happiest man on earth, even though he went through all of that. I love his, two of his quotes that I want to read to you tonight. One of them is that life can be beautiful if you make it beautiful. It is up to you. And he recounts looking at a beautiful sunset. And that is what made life beautiful to him. Or the act of generosity from another prisoner. And that was what made life beautiful to him. Even though, even amidst all of the terrible stuff around him, life can be beautiful. If he can say that, man, whatever we're going through, we can say, man, I can make life beautiful. He also said this, no one ever said that life was going to be easy, but it is easier if you love it. If you hate your life, it becomes impossible to live. What I get from this is that um, Eddie was not happy because of his circumstances, but it was actually because of the focus of his attitude. And I wonder how you would have responded if you were placed in those unimaginable hearts hardships of Auschwitz. I wonder if you would have had hope and resolve or if you would have given up. Actually, some of us don't actually have to try and think, oh, I wonder what it would be like because most of us have actually got inbuilt attitudes that would predetermine our response when we get there. So often the things that we go through in life and the attitudes that we have in response are in some sense predetermined. We all have ways in our life that are uh, that are almost like they're locked in. This is how I respond to a situation like this. This is my attitude towards this. This is my attitude towards this. Attitude is, it is like our locked in response. For example, if I begin to talk about 
Android phones. Um, most of us in the room have one of two responses. But the point is that we have a, we have a response. We're either going, oh, I love Android, or we're going, ah, oh, I hate it and I love iPhone. But you, not many people here are going, you know what, I hated iPhone, uh, I hated Android yesterday, but can I have an Android so I can make my mind up for today? Like we, we have a locked in response and we're not making the decision again. And so many of us bring attitudes to our everyday life. And this can actually turn out to be dangerous because rather than processing situations anew, we begin to apply attitudes to situations that are in the past. We apply attitudes from situations that are actually quite different to the one that we're into now. William James um, is considered um, to be, uh, his, his book, The Principles of Psychology, is considered to be a landmark textbook and considered one of the most significant works in psychology. And he says this, The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life simply by altering his attitudes. And, you know, we can alter our lives in a good way by altering our attitudes. We can actually also alter our lives in a bad way, simply through our attitudes. And some of us have picked up bad attitudes that do lead to bad outcomes. Maybe your first job was not so good or you had a really bad boss. And so because of your bad situation there, you kind of rather stay unemployed even if potentially the best job in the world is out there, or maybe you had a season of unemployment and it was just so terrible, so you just stay locked into a job that you hate because you're not ready to be to face the risk of unemployment. Maybe you had a bad relationship, and so your attitude towards people is untrusting and, uh, and apprehensive, and you miss the joy that might actually come with having a new attitude. Maybe you trusted God with something, And it didn't work out how you wanted or how you thought. And so now you've just chosen not to get your hopes up. And you're bringing your attitude from that past situation. And there's so many miracles, so many breakthroughs that we miss out that are actually available to us simply because of an old attitude. So tonight, part three, I want to talk about attitude and I want to help us to try and find a new attitude for all situations in life. So rather than our attitudes leading us to a place where we feel defeated, to a place where we feel anxious, frustrated, trapped, how we can develop attitudes that no matter what the situation, even if it is a concentration camp, that we can actually start to feel hopeful, full of purpose, overflowing with joy and ready to jump into what's next. That's the kind of difference that having a fresh and new attitude can have. And so the title of my message is Rebuild Your Revelation. Because the revelations that we have about situations is what determines the attitudes that we bring to them. The revelations that we have about situations determines the attitude that we bring towards them. If we have a revelation, we, some, we have an experience with someone that they are mean. Our revelation is that they have a mean personality and then we bring it to that situation. And so our attitude is always going to be negative until we have a new revelation of that person. Maybe you just caught them at a bad time. Maybe they were just hungry. Uh, you need to get a new revelation of that person. You need to rebuild your revelation so that you can then have a fresh attitude. Because maybe some of us think that, you know, Adjust your attitude just means simply changing your behavior. You know, 
chin up, put a smile on that sort of thing. But I actually believe that changing our attitude is not just altering behavior, but it comes from a process of finding out what is the revelation that is driving this attitude. And I'm going to go back to the start and I'm going to rebuild it from the ground up. If an attitude is a pre-built response that you have, if it's a conclusion that you came to earlier, then to get to a new attitude, you need to come to a new conclusion. Luke 6 verse 45 says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. And so if you want to have positive speaking, then the, the thing is not to just try and change the way that you speak. The thing is actually to change what is in your heart. And we apply this verse when it comes to our actions as well. If uh, our actions come from the overflow of our heart, it's not about altering what uh, our behaviors are, but it's actually about changing our heart. Anna, I found something spicy for us tonight. I found, <laughs> I found a moment where Jesus had a bad attitude and Jesus had to change his attitude. And it's in Matthew chapter 11. Let's have a look. Chapter 11, verse 20. Next, Jesus unleashed. Jesus unleashed. I would not want to be the subject of Jesus unleashing. Jesus unleashed on the cities where he worked the hardest, but the people responded the least, shrugging their shoulders and going on their own way. Jesus was trying to show people the kingdom of heaven. He was doing many signs and wonders, performing miracles uh, through the power of God within him. And people just weren't responding. And he was getting frustrated. Verse 21 to 24. Doom to you, Chorazin, doom, Bethsaida. If Tyre and Sidon had seen half the powerful miracles you'd seen, they would have been on their knees in a minute. And at judgment day, they're going to get off easy compared to you. Man, this is an unleashing. And uh, Capernaum, with all your peacock strutting, you're going to end up in the abyss. If this people of Sodom had your chances, they would still be around. And at judgment day, they're going to get off easy compared to you. So Jesus, he has this, he has this attitude. He has come to a way of thinking about these types of people. And that way of thinking is, boy, you are thick. I'm doing these miracles. Can't you see that God is real? Can't you see that I'm the son of God? And Jesus is, that's just my paraphrase. Okay. So let's not take that out of context. Jesus is like, man, I'm frustrated at these people, but watch what he does. Watch how he takes control and shifts his attitude. Verse 25, abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. It's almost like he's interrupting his own speech. And he's like, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates. I almost said sophisticates. (laughs) I'm definitely not sophisticated. And you've hidden it from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but you've spelled it out to them clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Now watch, he's, he's just arrested his attitude through this prayer. Now verse 27, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all of these things to do and say. This is a unique father and son operation coming out of the father and son, intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way that the father does, nor the father the way that the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. Here's the bit that's important. Now I'm ready again to go over it with you, line by line, anyone willing to listen. What a change in attitude. From they're never going to listen, you're not going to make it. Come on, I did all these miracles and you never heard it to now tenderly. I'm ready to go over it with you, line by line again. 
Jesus had a change of attitude in thinking, man, these people can't see what God is doing, to going, wow, I actually realize that I've been, I've been commissioned by God to reach the people that nobody else could reach because they thought they were thick too. But actually, what an opportunity I have to be able to reach these people who would otherwise be overlooked. Jesus rebuilt his revelation about the people that he was with, and it totally changed his tone. So this series is about, this Build Your Life series is about being practical. So um, I actually want to show you how Jesus used what's known in psychology as cognitive restructuring. Cognitive restructuring. And this is actually a, a psychotherapeutic process that people go through. If you go to therapy, you'll probably go through this perhaps unknowingly. Your therapist will be using this on you. If you have a conversation with Josh Lush, he'll be performing experiments on you because uh, he's studying that field right now. He'll be seeing if it's working out. But um, this is a recognized psychotherapeutic process. It's so interesting that it's actually what Jesus followed. And I wanted to bring in some other stories as well. This is something that um, this is something that Job followed. This is something that Jonah followed as well. But I can't go into all those stories. The first step in this process is you have to identify automatic thoughts. We need to find those thoughts that pop up that we didn't decide in the moment. Android, uh, or ah, that's an automatic thought. It just pops up. And Jesus, it's obvious, he, he didn't make a tactful assumption based on reflection about these people. He just let fly. He spoke out based what was already in his head. And then he realized, whoa, wait a second. I'm just, he just identifies that he's having an automatic thought and that he needs to actually come to a proper conclusion about this. And so he abruptly says, Jesus broke into prayer abruptly. It's like, uh, I have had a pretty up and down relationship with my dad. And um, a while ago, I just never really wanted to hang out with him at all. And dad said to me once, I said, oh, I said something about hanging out. And he was like, oh, I didn't want to bother you because you're always busy. And it was in that moment that I realized I kept saying to him, no, I don't want to hang out. I can't hang out. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And it had just become an automatic response for me. And that was the first step for me in recognizing that I needed to come to a new attitude about my dad. Jesus came to it about these people. I came to it about my dad. And, um, and the last few years, it's, our relationship has really turned around. And, uh, and I'm really thankful for that. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says this, We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture our rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So for you to be able to label a thought as rebellious, you need to be, you've actually been able to identify that thought. So are you able to identify your thoughts? What automatic thoughts do you have? The first part in changing our attitude to a more healthy attitude is being able to identify the automatic thoughts that you have. The way that I try and do this is just what makes you go, oh, the first time you hear it. Is it when um, a certain artist comes on the radio. You haven't even heard their new song, but you just know the artist. You're like, ugh. <laughs> Maybe it's when you see your boss calling and you're like, ugh. And that's an attitude towards the boss. That's an automatic thought you have towards your boss. Maybe it's when you get an email that's like assessment due and you're like, ugh. Maybe it's when you look down at the scales and the number reading comes up and it's like, ugh. Like you have that automatic attitude. What is that? What makes you automatically just go, ugh. Are there certain people or situations in your life that consistently lead to negative thoughts? 
If you find yourself having negative thoughts consistently around certain people, perhaps you've got an attitude there, that automatic thought is identifying to you that you've got an attitude there that needs to be dealt with. So what are those automatic thoughts? Hopefully we can have our radars up this week. If you haven't thought of anything, keep that radar up this week, those moments where you just, ah. Number two, the second stage in going through cognitive restructuring is we've got to identify cognitive distortion. Distortion. Um, Sorry. Cognitive distortions are habitual ways of thinking that are often inaccurate and negatively biased. So we've identified thoughts, but just like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, um, capturing, we capture their rebellious thoughts. So we can identify that this thought is actually not healthy. Because you do have some automatic thoughts that are healthy and good idea to leave them alone. Uh, but the automatic thoughts that are unhealthy, we've got to be able to identify them as unhealthy. Is this a cognitively distorted thought? So Jesus, he realized that his way of thinking of these people, they're never going to see the signs. Uh, that he recognized that that was actually something that I need to change. He recognized that it was an unhelpful way of thinking about them. And for me and my, my dad, I had to recognize that um, I saw him as boring and I saw him as having no common ground with me. And that, those particular thoughts were what stopped me from wanting to hang out with him. But there's actually plenty of common ground that we have. And once I had removed that thought that was cognitively distorted, it actually opened the door for a new attitude of a new period of time in our relationship. So how can you identify if your thoughts have cognitive distortions? Sometimes we can do it ourselves, but mostly I find that we need help for this. There are ways that we can look out for some classic cognitive distortions. One is like if you have that all or nothing thinking, like nothing has a gray area, like you have an interaction with a person and it's either lumped into good or it's bad, it's pushed one way or another. Um, And maybe you have a way of thinking about someone and it's just like everything they do is negative or everything they do... uh, I hate everything that they do. If you don't like, if if you can't think of one good thing, you've probably got some cognitive distortion happening in the way that you think about that person. Or maybe it's about your job or your career as a whole. And maybe you're just feeling like, I hate it all. And if you have that all or nothing thinking, that's a sign that you have some cognitive distortion. Um, Maybe it's ignoring the positives. And that kind of goes in with what I just said. But when you just you're so willing to just gravitate straight to the negative. A person says hello and they're nice and friendly and you're like, yeah, but on the inside, I know they hate me. Maybe it's letting feelings dictate your story. You felt that somebody said something to you in an insulting way and therefore they were insulting you. And I'm like, like, you can't read so much into like such small interactions. You Patterns do tell a much better story, but quite often when you let your feelings of one single interaction dictate the entire story, that's a sign of some cognitive distortion. Maybe it's magnification or minimization, blowing things out of proportion and downplaying their importance. The reason that I said we need help with this sometimes is because sometimes we don't realize we're making a bigger deal of something. Or we don't realize that our attitude towards someone is not the Everyone else has a different attitude. Like, you hate this person, but everyone else loves them. It's like, I, I don't know if you're like some kind of voodoo person who can really see, like, maybe you just have some cognitive distortion happening. 
few questions. How often do I allow myself to reevaluate people and circumstances to give them a fresh assessment? Oftentimes we come to a conclusion about somebody and then that's locked in. And it's very important that if we want to be able to change our attitude and cognitively restructure, to be able to set some time aside to fully reevaluate the people in our lives and the circumstances that we have. Maybe there's positives now that are there now that weren't there before. When you get a feeling about a situation, do you investigate it more to find out the real truth, getting people around you to help you to speak into that situation? Or do you assign it a label based on your feelings? What attitudes do you have in life that are going to need a good investigation this week. I'm sure that we can all think of at least one attitude or area that we need to put it on the table afresh and give it a re-evaluation again. I'm going to uh, combine the final two for the sake of time. The last two things, are we've got to dispute thoughts and we have to replace thoughts. Once we've identified that something is negative, we need to be able to challenge it. Are you good at actually challenging your own attitudes? Are you good at challenging your own thoughts? This is what Jesus did when he broke into prayer. He was trying to attack that bad way of thinking that he had and replacing it with the way of thinking that comes from God. He got God's perspective about these people. Actually, because the the verse says, this is how the father always wanted to do it. So he was getting God's perspective. He was challenging his own and going, that's not how God thinks. I'm going to push that out. I'm challenging that thought. I'm pushing that out. And I'm replacing that thought with something that comes from God. So you need to be able to replace it with something. You can't just remove it. It needs to be replaced with something positive. Because just removing it is like running away from the situation. Jesus didn't have that moment of defusing so that he could be like, ah, I feel calm again, and then go on his way. Because then it would just happen again. He had to replace it with a brand new attitude so that he could continue to work and continue to do his mission. Part of having a great attitude in life is being able to have a great attitude no matter what the circumstance. Some people like to run away from jobs, relationships, etc., etc. But you've got to challenge those thoughts and replace them so that you can stay. Maybe you might have to stay in, a re- in that household for a season, or you might have to stay in that job for a season, or in that relationship for a season. And I'm talking friendship as well as, you know, romantic and that sort of stuff. Uh, you might have to stay there for a while. So don't just try and escape. Challenge those thoughts and dispute those thoughts and then replace them, do what Jesus did, replace them with thoughts that came from God. That verse that I keep going back to, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and making every thought obedient to Christ. We're replacing it with a thought that comes from God. So a few questions to help. What thoughts have you come to by yourself? By yourself. Attitudes that you come to by yourself without God, getting God's perspective. What thoughts and attitudes probably could do with some exposure to God through prayer? That's what Jesus did. He brought it to prayer. This challenging of thoughts normally does in this psychotherapeutic process, normally does happen from the therapist. And some people may have thoughts that are so strong, it's so hard for you to challenge and you might need to go see a therapist. For me, what happened with my dad is 
I, I had a friend pray for me and I broke down sobbing and I almost couldn't stand up because of what was being challenged because it's hard to admit that something in me is going going on, something incorrect. I've come to the wrong conclusion and God was really working on me. So I actually believe as well, you might need to go see a therapist, but you might also be able to bring that to God and find what he can do uh, through that interaction as well. What spot do you have, regular spot in your day where you can bring your thoughts to God? Some of us don't even have a spot in our day. And all it needs to be is a couple of minutes, even a minute, even if you need to run to the bathroom in the middle of work so that you can be alone if you are just, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you just need to have a moment where I can give my thoughts to God. Maybe it's in your lunch break, maybe it's on a drive, whatever it is. I really believe that with God's help, all of us can find a new way to come to fresh attitudes that are actually going to be healthy and build our life rather than destroy it. Rather than having us run away from situations and give up on life, we're actually ready to come back like Jesus did tenderly. I'm ready to go over this again. We can reframe our reality and that we can rebuild our revelation. Let's stand together. And um, maybe you've been able to, maybe you do have a strong ability to self-reflect and you're actually able to recognize right now Uh, I have some attitudes that need dealing with. I have some attitudes that are unhealthy or ways of thinking that I bring to my workplace or to my relationship, to my spouse, to my boyfriend, my girlfriend, to my boss, to my uni lecturer, to my best friend, uh, to my job, whatever it is. Maybe we have these attitudes that we really need to deal with. Let's have a moment right now where we bring that to God say, God, would you just challenge that within me? And if you can't think of anything, you can still pray this prayer with me too. Just be asking that God would reveal stuff to you and be challenging stuff in you that's unhealthy so that you can build your life on positive attitudes, maybe even become the new happiest man on earth. Let's, let's pray together and just be bringing those situations to your mind. God, I just thank you that you give us the power to be able to, uh, change the outlook of our life through our attitudes, through our ways of thinking. I pray that you'd help every one of us to be able to identify unhealthy attitudes. Help us to see where we've distorted the truth, where we've based stuff on our emotions, where we've jumped to conclusions, where we're applying old thinking to new circumstances. Help us to see that and help us to do the hardest work of all, God to challenge those thoughts and to replace them. In Jesus' name, amen. Anna, whilst I'm talking very practically about ways to change our thinking, you know, looking at how Jesus really strongly relied on God in that moment to help him in that situation, I do really believe that a relationship with God is the best way that we can build our life. Because in fact, in every moment that we face, whether it's good or bad, we can choose to lean on Him. And when we lean on Him and lean on that relationship that we have with Him, we can find ourselves facing much more positive outcomes than without Him. And um, if we could just close our eyes once again. Maybe you've been coming to church a few times and you've been thinking about fully trusting in God fully letting him in, not just holding your own attitudes, but letting him come in and letting him maybe change a few things, maybe following his lead in a few areas of your life. I want to 
um, I just want to pray for everyone right now. If that's you, could you just raise your hand just while I'm watching? If you want to, uh, if you want to make a decision right now that I'm going to follow Jesus, just right now, just as I'm looking around. Thank you. Awesome. One person already. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else here that wants to do that today? And I want to pray for you. Maybe if you're listening on the podcast or you're watching on YouTube and that's you, um, why don't you just put your hand up even in the space that you're in right now, just as a recognition, God, I just need you. Anyone else just in the room that I can see and I'll pray? Cool. Well, God, I just pray for anybody who's just made that decision, um, for the people in the room and maybe people who are tuning into this a bit later. I just pray that you would be with them as they lean on you in every day. I pray that you would be showing yourself uh, more and more, showing them your love and walking with them in whatever situations they're going through and that they truly would get a sense of your presence um, this week as they seek after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, thank you everyone and hope that the psychology words weren't too big, um, but that we can all go and change our attitudes and rebuild the core revelations that are maybe fueling some unhealthy attitudes this week.